0: Are Christians obligated to pay tithes today to their local congregation? Can congregations solicit money from the community in general for charitable purposes or by running a business? Can a church give money to needy non-Christians or to non-church ministries, colleges, and other things? On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the local congregation and money, where it can scripturally come from, and what it can be scripturally spent on.
1: Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Well, hey, Jeff, as you mentioned in your teaser there, we're going to be talking today about contribution and proper use of the church treasury. And this is one of those subjects where it's important not only because like all other truth you know we want to understand and do what god would have us to do but when we look around us in the religious world today i think it's safe to say that we see a, quite a variety as it relates to churches and specifically what they're spending money on i mean jeff i don't know about you but as i drive around my neighborhood i see not only lots of churches but i see churches that are now engaged in activities that would mirror like a corporation uh, they are for profit and they're doing a lot of things. So I guess we would ask, is that authorized? And that's really the point of today's podcast is, hey, let's just see what the Bible says. If the Bible authorizes that sort of thing, great. But if it does not, what do we need to
0: do? Oh, and that's a very good point. Even um, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse six, you know, has that general principle where he says, now in these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think, beyond what is written. And you know, to your point, there are you know a lot of congregations that potentially see what they feel are good things they could go do. And so in turn they've engaged in a number of different activities to gather funds, money, funding, etc. A number of different mechanisms. And then in turn spending on a lot of different kinds of things. But as you pointed out, the key question is You know, what does the Bible say? Are there other patterns? Are there prohibitions in terms of what local congregations can do in terms of gathering funding as well as spending that funding? Yeah,
1: whatever the Bible subject is, the critical thing is what does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach us that we should be doing? And so when we think about authority, which is really what we're talking about here, God's word is the authority for everything that we do religiously. Just thinking, as I was saying earlier,
0: you know, a lot of people may perceive what they think are good things to do, good works, good deeds, etc. But like you're correctly pointing out, we need to come back to the scriptures and see what Jesus would say his, he wants his church to do, how he wants his church to act, how he wants his church to gather money, how he wants his church to spend money on, on works that he authorizes, not the things we think we might want. Because it's not our church. It's not the church of Jeff or the church of Brian.
1: That's right. And the end doesn't justify the means. And I think that's the other part is sometimes people fall into the trap of, well, if it accomplishes good, isn't that authorized? Uh, Not not really. Not if it's inconsistent or in conflict with God's word. So to kind of lay out for our listeners what we're going to do today, Jeff, we're going to talk about giving and sacrifice under the old law some might call the law of Moses or the old law of the Old Testament, Old Covenant. And then we're going to shift gears and and look at the new law, the law of Christ that we all live under today. And what does giving look like under the law of Christ? And then we're going to look at questions related to this subject that have been submitted by our folks that visit our website, BibleQuestions.org. So before we get into the old law, Jeff, I just wanted to mention a couple quick things. One is that We all know that it's a blessing to be able to give, not only give to the Lord, but to give to others. It's truly a blessing. And in fact, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, Paul encouraged the elders from the church at Ephesus to quote, remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so, you know, we certainly wanna have that as a mindset first and foremost, be of a giving mindset. And so as we talked about, you know, the Lord set up guidelines for giving and for properly using the money contributed by the saints on the first day of the week. So we're going to get into all of that. But Jeff, before you get into your old law uh, material, can you just talk real quick uh, as a final thought before we get started on this concept or principle of speak where the Bible speaks and remain silent where it remains silent?
0: And I think that's uh, a key principle. I mean, we've we've already talked to some degree about that's what the scriptures say, you know, as we were talking earlier with First uh, Corinthians chapter 4. And that is a, you know, critical discriminator. I know there's some discussions that go back even to the Renaissance period with, you know, Luther and, and others about whether, for instance, the silence of the scriptures is something that frees us up to do whatever we want or whether it tends to constrain us. And the easiest way of answering that question is to actually go into the scriptures and see how the scriptures, you know, instruct us how to interpret the scriptures. Uh, and, And again, going back to 1 Corinthians 4, the answer is stay within the scriptures. In fact, there's other verses, you know, throughout the Old Testament and to some degree in the New Testament, you know, don't add to, don't take from, I'm thinking even in the, you know, the book of Revelation with pronouncements on those who would dare, you know, add to God's word, take away from God's word. And I think that's referring not only to people who would add, you know, books and letters to the Bible, but also add their own doctrine or to say, well, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to do X. So therefore I can easily do X. And that'll, that takes you down the road to all different kinds of false doctrines, man-made doctrines. Things being added to the truth in the name of one's own desires and creeds, et cetera. And it it takes you definitely where Jesus would not want his church to go.
1: Yeah, and one principle we see throughout the scriptures is that when God tells us what he would like, then that removes everything else. Exactly. And, you know, it's that old analogy of if you send your child to the store to get a loaf of bread, it's understood that. Your child isn't to buy a bunch of extra things, just the bread. It removes everything else from the equation. And we see that in life, but sometimes it's not as easy to see it when it comes to spiritual matters.
0: People somehow get it in their minds that, well, you know, God will be pleased when I fill in the blank, because after all, I like it. And it's like, well, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, God's ways are not our ways. And as you said, if it's His church, if it's our worship of Him, et cetera, then we should naturally do what he wants, not what we want.
1: Yeah. And in many places, and certainly giving is one of these subjects, the Lord's made it very clear what he would like. And so therefore we just have to be very clear on the matter that we, we do not have the right to add to take away, as you mentioned earlier. Exactly. All right. Well, so let's move on to the first section, really. And we thought it would be good to just kind of frame, Jeff, what The old law had to say about giving in general, the principles there, and then what's moved with us to the law of Christ.
0: Yeah, it's certainly a good place to start because if you look at it from a general perspective of words, giving or gift or sacrifice or offering, etc., it is throughout the Old Testament. In fact, starting at the very beginning with Genesis chapter four, you know, with Cain and Abel. Each of them bringing a quote unquote, you know, offering to the Lord. And even that event that early on, one of those was accepted. One was not. In fact, Hebrews eleven four, four, you know, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, you know, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. So Genesis chapter four, the very beginning. Of course, if you go forward, you can see where that's kind of formalized under the law of Moses, Leviticus, beginning with chapter one, probably is a good place. All different kinds of offerings, you know, made to God, typically animals, but sometimes, you know, grain, flour, oil, other crops, etc. Likewise, for a variety of reasons, sometimes because of, you know, sin and guilt. But other times, just because of, you know, a person's peace, joy, you know, thankfulness, even in like Exodus chapter 22, around verse 29, uh, and chapter 34, around verse uh, 19, first fruits of a person's harvest, firstborn of a person's animals, firstborn of your sons offered to God, and at least with sons, you know, redeemed with money. And, of course, there's the, the classical Leviticus 27, verse 32, where it talks about uh, the tithe, 10%. Lots of different kinds of sacrifices, lots of different kind of reasons. Brian, you want to add anything to that?
1: Yeah, it was pretty wide range of laws, if you will, as it relates to giving. So, you know, the, the best animal from your herd, the first fruits of your crops— you know grain offerings and so forth and as you said it's pretty exhaustive and i know we don't have time to go through all of those but god clearly laid out his expectations for giving uh, under the old law
0: good point well and you know as we said sometimes they were quote unquote sacrifices in terms of like animal sacrifices um but other times it was money and just you know again a wide variety a uh, little bit because chapter 5 verse 15. Uh, Talking about giving, if I remember the context, you know, a a half a shekel, again, money. And as you pointed out, gathering the money, as well as what people may not realize, a lot of these animal sacrifices and flower based sacrifices and oil based sacrifices had several different purposes under the law of Moses. What some people may not realize is that a lot of those things were taken and used to provide support for the priests. Uh, for them to execute their religious duties and not have to quote unquote have their own uh, job or business. You know, a lot of the, you know, animal sacrifices were the priests were allowed to take those and and eat them. We see a couple different places where, you know, collections were gathered for building various places of worship, for instance, you know, starting with the tabernacle, you know, there in the wilderness. Uh, uh, Exodus uh, thirty-five, five, and of course later for the temple. But I think that the key point uh, that you started to point out is it's more than just the act itself. These sacrifices were meant to be a reflection of the person's attitude. For instance, you know the the, the animal sacrifices had to be unblemished, without defect. They had to be the best. Leviticus you know, chapter twenty-two. You already pointed out that it was first fruit, first animals, firstborn. Again, emphasis on first, emphasis on priority, putting God first. The other thing I might mention is, and I don't know the actual number, but I've heard that when you start adding up not only the tithe, but you start throwing in free will offerings, animal sacrifices, and other things, other acts of giving, that the Israelites were giving potentially 30%, 40% or more uh, of their income. So when some people say, well, yeah, the Israelites gave 10%, um, that's pretty superficial. Uh, if you dig into it, they were giving a lot more, at least in terms of you know percentage wise. But again, still, hopefully that reflected, you know, their attitude, wanting to give the best, wanting to put God first, et cetera, and the act of giving merely flows from that attitude
1: that's right and and i'm glad you brought that up because under the law of christ attitude is also focused on if you think about it and i and we all understand this you know we're talking about giving as you said primarily money certainly under the law of christ you know we we give money for instance on the first day of the week but when you think about this idea of your attitude or your mindset when giving certainly When it comes to giving to the Lord, that's one. The other is giving to others. You know, we often can give things like our time or our effort. Think about mowing the lawn of somebody who's elderly and cannot do it themselves. And so I think we would all agree our our mindset is critical. And when it comes to giving, and we shift gears now to the law of Christ, the law of Christ teaches the attitude that we have when giving is is so critical. So what does the law of Christ teach? Well, first and foremost, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses one and two, Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So a couple of fundamental principles that we see here. One is, number one, we, we purpose, we lay aside something. So there's forethought that goes into what we're going to contribute to the Lord. So that's number one. Number two, we do it as we prosper. So when you think about this idea of prospering, what does that look like? Well, our, our jobs, if we have jobs, you know, our paycheck, uh, if we sell a car, if we get a bonus. And all of these are different ways in which we prosper. And so we're simply taking a portion of that and we're giving it back to the Lord. And you see under the law of Christ, it does not specify a percentage. It just talks about giving as we prosper. So therefore, each one of us has to determine what's the proper amount to give to the Lord. And I think we could all understand and, and would agree that it shouldn't be just something that's last minute. You grab what's in your pocket and you sort of put it in the collection plate as it comes around. It needs to be forethought, and there needs to be a generosity to giving. So before we move on to talk about attitude, Jeff,
0: anything that you want to add? Maybe one or two points, yeah. You know, we get a lot of questions to the website that are related to Christians' tithing. And I think in many ways that reflects people's uh, lack of understanding, of the difference between the law of Moses and the law of Christ or between the Old Testament and the New Testament or, or between the, the laws and rules that we as Christians today are under uh, versus what the Israelites were under. And they may say, well, you know, the Jews gave 10%, so we have to give 10% as well. And as you pointed out from a New Testament perspective, the amount's not specified, just like, you know, animal sacrifices are not specified. Just like, you know, a number of different things associated with the law of Moses are not specified, not brought forward under the law of Christ, so to speak. So I think this is a, this is a good example, uh, if you will, of that kind of a principle that yes, indeed, all the Bible is indeed inspired, but not all of the Bible is binding, if you will, on us today the other thing i might mention and it's there's a little bit of a logical connection that you have to make if you look at the context of first corinthians 16 you know there was an immediate financial need uh, if i remember right a a famine or something going on in judea and the saints in judea were you know suffering because of that and so because of that specific need paul is making this you know collection among the various almost Gentile kinds of congregations in the Mediterranean to support the needs of the needy saints. A financial need met with these kinds of instructions. Now, there's a little bit of a half step from a logic perspective that says, okay, if a local congregation has a financial need for whatever it's authorized to do, here we have an approved command and example of how to go about doing that. The key thing is we don't have an approved example uh, or or a command, et cetera, or any of those sorts of things uh, of other ways that the local congregation can gather money. So again, this kind of comes back to the silence of the scriptures. You know, we have a a command and approved example for this specific case, religious need. Likewise, if a local congregation has other religious needs, I think that's, that's an easy connection to make. But if we're talking about, you know, gathering money or or other ways of gathering money, now we're talking about going beyond what the scriptures have said.
1: That's right. And sometimes people will make the argument that 1 Corinthians 16 was a special situation. And so therefore, it doesn't apply to us today. But to your point, and we're going to see other passages, by the way, that support this. And that is, there has to be a funding of authorized uh, uses of the treasury. So for instance, uh, paying an evangelist is one of the most basic. If people did not give, well, then how would you pay an evangelist? Exactly. We'll get more into that. What I'd like to shift gears to now is just a proper attitude. You touched on it, Jeff. It, it's so critical. And one thing I've always appreciated about the Bible and the truth in general is God spends a lot of time talking about our mindset, our attitude, our approach, because it really starts there Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 23 for instance that for from within our heart precedes everything, including evil, right evil thoughts, murders, and so forth well, a lot of good things too. so when it comes to giving, we under the old laws you pointed out, Jeff talked about physical sacrifices and under the law of Christ we still offer sacrifices, but they're spiritual sacrifices. so it's analogous in the sense that it's a sacrifice.
0: Well, and even embedded in the word, you know, if, if we pause for a second, a sacrifice has that sense of you're doing something to a degree that's over and above, above and beyond. You know, someone may say, you know, I'm, I'm sacrificing a lot of time to be a better, you know, uh, student in college or in school, or yeah, I'm, 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 I'm sacrificing, you know, a certain amount of, uh, you know, food because I'm on a diet and I'm overweight, you know, so kind of going a little bit above and beyond it just embedded in the, even in the meaning of the word.
1: Definitely. And when it comes to this attitude, I think that one of the best places to start, Jeff his First Chronicles chapter 29. I was going to see if I can get you to read a, a couple of passages there. This is an example of where David was collecting material, if you will, and accepting contributions to build the temple. As our listeners might remember, God did not allow David to build the temple, but he did allow or would allow his son Solomon to build the temple. However, to do so, they needed supplies.
0: And a lot of them. <laughs>
1: yeah, and a lot of them, right? So they went to the brethren, if you will, and they said, we need you to donate for us to be able to build this temple. And so, Jeff, I'd like to take a look at verses 9 through 16 of First Chronicles 29, because this really helps us to understand the proper attitude and mindset when it
0: comes to giving. Okay. So beginning with verse 9, Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours O Lord is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. What a great attitude, right? Uh, And it does indicate a certain degree of, you know, humility and stewardship. You know, it's not like it's, well, it's my job. I worked hard for it. I earned it and I'm going to do whatever I want to with it. No, it really all belongs to God. Even our ability to, you know, have jobs, our intelligence, you know, the the opportunities we have. So yeah, definitely speaks to having a, a good attitude of returning a portion to God, of what He has blessed us with.
1: Yeah, and I really like how you put that, because ultimately, as you said, our talents and abilities go back to God. Any money that we're able to earn, is because He created us. He's given us the fortitude and the aptitude to learn different skills. And I like how in here, you know, David says, for instance, in verse 9, Number one, the people rejoiced for they had offered willingly. They knew what they were doing was right. And it was exciting to them to give abundantly to the Lord. David points out, riches and honor come from you. You give strength to all, verse 12. And then, of course, that key statement in verse 14, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly Is this? Like you said, humility for all things come from you. And of your own, we have given you. And so we simply, anytime we contribute to the Lord, are just giving back to him what's rightfully his. The Lord is over all, all belongs to him. In essence, we're just stewards of what he's allowed us to have. And then, of course, verse 16, you know, they're building this house and it's from your hand, David says, and all your own. So just a wonderful attitude from David there. You know, over in. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, under the law of Christ, we see this same mentality. And, you know, we are to give as we've purposed and we are to give cheerfully. So, 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6, it says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful Giver. So this goes back to kind of what we talked about, Jeff, in First Corinthians chapter 16. And that is that we're purposing in our heart what we're going to give. And we're not going to give it grudgingly, like, oh, I have to give this money to the Lord. Or I have to give it because the church needs it. No, God loves a cheerful giver. You're having this attitude that David and, and the Israelites had, and that is, it's an honor, Lord, to be able to give back to you. So prior to me giving it, I put some thought into it and when it comes time on the first day of the week to give i've already decided based on how i've been prospered what i'm going to give to the lord
0: oh and there's another aspect that just occurred to me of and i think it's in somewhere in the sermon on the mount and maybe you can find it real quickly where part of the proper attitude is being god focused not man focused meaning if i am giving in some sort of a public way to be seen of men, mm-hmm. to get the glory of men. I think within the context of Matthew, it's like you know giving their alms into the, the, the treasury. You know, I already have my reward. Right. <laughs> Basically the praise of men. So don't expect any reward from God from doing what he would say. Again, another attitude, you know, giving to be seen of men.
1: Yeah, that's a great principle. In fact, Matthew chapter six, where he talks about that. And he, as you said, you know, when you do your charitable deeds, Take heed that you do not do so to be seen by them," Jesus says in verse one, and then He also talks in verse two about you know sounding a trumpet. In other words, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, as you said, He says they have their reward. So in other words, they've received the recognition. Is that's really what they wanted? They received that, but that's not pleasing to God. In fact, He goes on in verse three to say, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, you do it without Putting thought into it in the sense of I have an ulterior motive where I want to be noticed by other people. Instead, just do it because it's the right thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, one other thing we see, Jeff, is in the religious world today, as we kind of talked about at the beginning, we see a whole
0: lot of going
1: beyond what was written in this area. Do you have some thoughts for us?
0: Well, a few. And the kinds of things that I'm about to say may be viewed by our listeners as what? That's wrong? or as being commonplace or, you know, what's wrong with it. But again, coming all the way back to authority, you know, we've seen the New Testament pattern, you know, giving first day of the week, et cetera, into the treasury, et cetera. But a lot of religious organizations have used a lot of other different mechanisms that go above and beyond that. Um, And some of them are almost like a quid pro quo kind of exchange community bake sales, raffles, charity auctions, and other kinds of fundraisers, which have at least two things. One is, you know, it's not as you've been prospered. It's like you're, yeah, I'll I'll put in a dollar to get a raffle ticket and I might win some prize. Uh, The other thing is, at least within the law of Christ, we're talking about Christians giving to the congregation, not Congregations soliciting money from the community at large, which a lot of these bake sales, et cetera, uh, are uh, above and beyond that kind of, you know, charity-ish thing. uh, A lot of congregations, a lot of religious denominations have got into the business realm, you know, running uh, secular businesses, doing various real estate transactions, Know, church run, you know, secular schools renting out their space to businesses, daycare, etc. Uh, in fact, I think we'll, we might get into uh, an example of, of a couple of religious denominations that are really into secular businesses.
1: yeah, there are many that are intertwined in so many different types of businesses. They really resemble a corporation. And here in the United States, you know, there are for-profit and not-for-profit. Most religious institutions over the years have been not-for-profit, but, but that's shifted, hasn't it, Jeff, where many are trying to make money now like a corporation?
0: Definitely has. Well, and one of the notable examples, I mean, we're here in Colorado, you know, one state over is Utah. If you look into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, um, also known as you know Mormonism or, or Mormons, uh, I did just a little bit of research, and honestly, I was surprised. Uh, at least according to one article I read, the you know Mormon Church, so to speak, reportedly owns over a million acres in here in the U.S., where it runs farms, ranches, orchards, hunting preserves. Allegedly owns farmland in Australia, England, Brazil, Canada, Argentina, Mexico. In Salt Lake City, they own a two, what allegedly a $2 billion mall, not too far from the temple. They have a number of media subsidiaries, you know, newspapers, TV stations, radio stations. They have an insurance company. Uh, Interestingly enough, over in Hawaii, they run a water management company a sewage treatment plant, two different cemeteries, and the 42-acre Polynesian Cultural Center theme park. If there's no constraints and you're in it to, you know, make money to, quote-unquote, fund the church, then, well, sure, why not? And that's part of the problem. When you depart from the scriptural pattern, it's wide open. You know, if you leave the pattern, then there is nothing constraining you other than human judgment and you know here's a case where human judgment says hey million acres run ranches run a theme park run a shopping mall whatever unlimited
1: that's right there are no limits and you know some might argue jeff in fact we have a question coming up here in a little bit about the church conducting business. So we'll get more into that. But some people will make the argument, well, the parable of the talents teaches us that God expects us to be good stewards of the money that's contributed. Well, the parable of the talents was talking about individuals and abilities and talents that God has given them. It's not talking about the church, so we can't make that translation over to the church. The second thing is Uzzah and the Ark of the Covenant, I think, is a good example of the end doesn't always justify the means. Right. You know, here we have a situation in Second Samuel 6 where the Ark of the Covenant was being carried on a cart instead of by men, by the Levites as required by the law, and So, you know, they're moving along and then the ark, the oxen stumbles and and the ark's going to fall. Well, uh, Uzzah didn't want to see it fall. So he reached out and he touched the ark to stop it from falling. And, you know, it says the anger of the Lord, verse seven, was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him there for his error and he died there by the ark of God. Well, that's just an example of, you know, once again, God has said, this is what I expect. Anything else that's done is unauthorized and not acceptable to the Lord. So coming back to giving and, you know, treating our church as if it were a business. Well, that's contrary to what God's word teaches us the purpose of the church is, right? It's the pillar and ground of the truth and so on and so forth. So anyhow, just one example to say, yes, the end does not justify the means or, hey, if it accomplishes good, then shouldn't that be fine? Well, no. And and that's just one example of that,
0: so. Points. Now, I think we've been talking a lot so far about the income side of the equation. Did you have any other thoughts on the income side before we switch over to the how well the money can be used?
1: Uh, no, I think we covered uh, the abuses, if you will. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> really well, and you know, honestly, I think some people, you know, they may be able to see, for instance, the example of the you know Mormon Church where you know, they own and run the Marriott hotel chain. Okay. And they say, well, you know that, yeah, that's, that's abusive. You know, you know, churches shouldn't be involved in hotels and shopping malls and whatever, you know, as a, as a money making thing. And at the same time, they may not have any problem in soliciting money from the community. Again, coming back to these, you know, bake sales and raffles and auctions, et cetera. Well, if you bought it all down, what's the difference? Right? I mean, fundamentally, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you might argue it's a different magnitude, but still, it's not according to the pattern we have that you know Jesus wants of his church and, and the way it uh, obtains you know funding for what it's supposed to be doing,
1: yeah. and i I honestly believe, Jeff, over the years, it's been my experience that a lack of knowledge of what the Lord teaches on this matter is often what leads people to do whatever they think as long as it accomplishes good. And the scriptures are very clear. and when you look at the wisdom of what the treasury is used supposed to be used for, uh, I think we give we have a better understanding as, as to why God doesn't want the church involved in all these other things. So for instance, when we talk about well what's the approved use, of the treasury. And just to refresh everybody's mind on what the scriptures teach, we're talking about when we say the treasury, the amount that brethren of a local congregation give on the first day of the week. Or in some cases you could have a special offering if there was a, as you touched on Jeff, like a, a famine in another country and you have brethren there that need assistance. But just talking about the fundamentals, we, as we saw in First Corinthians chapter 16, on the first day of the week, we all give as we have stored up and we have prospered and as we have purposed in our heart, as we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And so overall, what we see the Bible teaches is that the money collected from the saints on the first day of the week can be used for evangelism, benevolence for needy Christians, and expedience to accomplish those tasks. And when we talk about expedience, we're talking about you know meeting in a building to accomplish the task of worship that we've been asked to do. If we are to sing and make melody in our hearts, we could use some money to purchase songbooks so that we're able to sing songs to the Lord and so on. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, one of the first uses of the treasury that we see spelled out here is that of evangelism. So Jeff, if I could get you to read verses six through 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter nine. Paul's talking here about the principle of that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Uh, So if you'd be willing to read that, Jeff, 1 Corinthians nine, verses six through 14.
0: Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock, Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. It is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things to you, Is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Yeah, good passage. I hadn't thought about that because it connects all the way back to what we said at the very beginning of the podcast about the Levitical priests, you know, partaking, physically eating of the sacrifices as God intended, as a a means of support.
1: That's right. And they lived from those contributions. And Paul's making the analogy, Holy Spirit, of course, through Paul, that it's the same under the law of Christ. They should be supported. From-
0: exactly. Uh, and, and I know there are there's a small number of religious groups uh, that, that might speak, well, you know, preachers or priests or whatever, you know, need to take a vow of poverty or they need to be poor or they need to be unsupported, you know, because if financially, because if they are supported, well, they're just doing it for the money. And that's certainly not what the the Bible teaches. One thing I always felt
1: was fascinating and also I think illustrates God's mindset towards supporting those who work for him. And that is with the priests from the tribe of Levi. When the land Was divided up in the land of Canaan, and all the tribes were given land. Each one of those tribes had a responsibility to provide land within their own lands for the priest to provide means for them to live. And so we we see all along, Jeff, that it's been God's mindset that we provide for those that are spiritually working for Him.
0: And and it's certainly one of the three main responsibilities, local congregation you know, in terms of, as you said, preaching evangelism and the local congregation supporting that, whether we're talking about the local preacher or in some cases as opportunity and financial means permit, you know, supporting uh, preachers uh, elsewhere, you know, sometimes for instance, here in the United States and sometimes abroad.
1: Yeah, that's right. So whether it's a local located preacher locally uh, for the local congregation or brethren that are in other countries that may be preaching and the members of their church may not be able to contribute enough to support them. In fact, what's interesting, even in Paul's life, Paul was a tent maker, so it wasn't as if Paul was always relying on the brethren's contributions. However, when they did contribute to him, it allowed him to focus more on the gospel. With Priscilla and Aquila, there were times where the contribution wasn't there, and so Paul would make tents. He would find a way to earn money, and we see a lot of preachers do that. If a local congregation is not able to fully support them, they'll take on other work. Uh, That's certainly authorized, but I think ultimately the point here, as we just said, 1 Corinthians 9, 14, those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. The second principle that we see here, as far as the use of the church treasury, is benevolence for needy saints. And we've actually talked at length about this in a couple of our previous episodes, Jeff. But, you know, at a base level, we see, for instance, in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 through 27, Paul says here, But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So this is just one example. There are actually several in the scriptures where you have a group of saints, and any time that word saints used in the scriptures, it's talking about Christians. You have Christians that live and are members of a local congregation. There might be saints or Christians in other parts of the world that are undergoing a drought. And unlike today, where it's easy for us just to ship in food and water and those sorts of things, uh, back then, that wasn't as easy to do. And and not only that, there, there wasn't the money to purchase these items. So you would see examples of Christians giving to other Christians so that they could basically get the necessities of life to survive food, water, those kinds of things. In fact, we even see in Acts, Jeff, that we had brethren that were selling lands and possessions and giving it to the apostles, and the apostles would pass it along to the elders of a church, and then they could distribute to those in need.
0: Uh, and again, from a pattern perspective, we certainly have, as you said, commands as well as examples of local congregations, you know, as the need arises, helping needy Christians. What we don't have are local congregations from the treasury, you know, opening up the treasury, so to speak, to anybody and everybody, you know, just the, the needy, poor, anywhere, everywhere, non-Christians, et cetera. And again, trying to stick with the pattern. Now, as you said, individual Christians you know, can do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith, but at least in terms of local congregations and what the Lord's treasury can be used for, only what the Lord has authorized. And again, back to the pattern. And in this case, as you're mentioning, benevolence, but even that's restricted, as we've seen so far to needy saints.
1: You know, many in the religious world today have no problem using the treasury of the church to help anyone in society, as you pointed out, Jeff. And this is often referred to as general benevolence. However, without authority, they don't have a right to do this. So going back to this idea of the unjustifies the the means or, you know, under the misguided concept of showing love for other men, uh, they feel this practice is justified but you know we have to ask the question does the lord want us to help non-christian people are we demonstrating a lack of love by not helping them with money from the treasury well you know a close examination of the scriptures reveals that the lord does want us to help all men but we only have authority to use the treasury to help needy christians and that's the difference and so you know looking at a couple passages we learn that there are two types of benevolence, as we just talked about, individual and church. So for instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verses 3 and 4, we're taught that we as family members should help our own family members by taking care of them. And we know that because it says in verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household or his household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we have a responsibility to help our own household. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 also says, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so individually, we should be helping others, whether it's our own family members or those that we can afford to help. And then as it relates to Christians, they're helped if needed from the church treasury. And so as we just looked at in Romans chapter 15 verses 25 through 27, we see how the saints in Macedonia and Achaia financially helped poor Christians. And every time this type of help is mentioned, Jeff, it's always saints to saints, Christians to Christians. And that's why we follow the pattern that's in the New Testament and draw this distinction between what can be used from the treasury and what can be supported individually.
0: It's a good distinction to make. And I think we've kind of outlined so far, you know, legitimate uses of the treasury for preaching teaching etc for edification of the saints as you said um, perhaps having a, a place to meet a building for etc and number three specific benevolence or for uh, for needy christians unfortunately though to make kind of application to what we've been talking about if you look out into the religious world y- yes you can see those kinds of things but as you've already alluded to things, we also see they're well beyond that. And I just made kind of a really quick list here. And some of these people may go, oh yeah, that's right. That's abusive. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when there were all kinds of controversy with quote unquote TV evangelists and the big major salaries they were getting and the big homes they were purchasing and the private jets they were purchasing. And people would say, well, yeah, we should support the preaching, but that's That's abusive. That's
1: probably a little beyond doing the Lord's (laughs) book.
0: Exactly. Right. But what a lot of congregations will get into is spending money out of the treasury to support seemingly good things, but they're not authorized. And often it's giving money to various what we might call institutions. Like out of the treasury, we're going to give a donation to a local college or a local old folks home what we used to call old folks homes you know nursing homes orphanages or various human quote unquote ministries you know separate detached from you know local congregational oversight uh, with some religious groups we see them trying to not just help needy people in the community but more generally just trying to better the community uh, for instance uh, there's a congregation we pass on the way to uh, services that offers free classes in English as a second language. I've seen some, some congregations, you know, opening up a major section of their land for like community gardens again to better the community, so to speak. Some religious organizations get into making, you know, donations to, you know, political action committees or donations to uh, Right to Life, for instance. And you know, certainly we're against abortion, but do we have authority from the scriptures to spend money on things that are not directly related to the work of the local congregation or to give money to someone else not a needy saint to do some sort of religious work and again coming back to the pattern of the bible we don't have that pattern
1: yeah so many of these uh, efforts and different groups that you talked about jeff are worthy of support they're doing really good work but That would be support that we can give individually and not from the church treasury. And sometimes we hear kind of the emotional argument, oh, don't you care about others? Don't you want to help others? Well, sure we do. And once again, individually, we each can look to see what we're able to help with, not just financially, sometimes just donating our time to a charitable organization. All those things are not only good, they're actually encouraged by the scriptures. But once again, here's this distinction. Can we use money from the church treasury? And the answer is no, if it goes beyond, as you just described, uh, preaching the gospel and the supporting of the Lord. Exactly. All right, Jeff, why don't we shift gears now? We have a few questions that have been asked about giving over the years. And so we're going to just take a look at a few questions see what the Bible has to say, how it would answer these questions. And so the first one, Pyong asks, can a church do business by using the offering of the church?
0: So I would assume in this case, he's talking about uh, people in the congregation giving, offering money into the treasury. And then can the local church use that and do business with it? Like, you know, go purchase a business or run some kind of business.
1: Or sell something. Yeah, right.
0: Exactly. Um, And as we've talked about today, simply speaking, the answer is no. (laughs) You know, we've talked about the local congregation only being authorized to use the funds in ways that the Lord has authorized. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because if we shift gears a little bit and think about a normal business, right, and if someone is in a position in that business, to have access to the business's, you know, checking account or other funds that the business had has, if that person takes money from the business and spends it on things not associated with the business that the business has not authorized, we call that embezzling, don't we?
1: Right, <laughs> that's it.
0: We call that either embezzling or we call it misappropriation of funds. And in a business realm, we can see that so easily. But in a religious realm, uh, sometimes people's, you know, thinking gets a little bit clouded. But coming back, to the original question, you know, can the church do business uh, and gain additional money <laughs> by leveraging, if you will, the offering? The answer is no. In fact, uh, let me make a little bit finer point in there. I know there are some religious groups that say, well, you got all this money in the treasury, you know, you need to go. Invest it, you know, you need to go buy real estate. You need to go invest it in stock. Be
1: a good steward of that money. Yes.
0: Be a good steward of that money and be able to get all this interest or invest in this land, then you can sell the land at a major profit because real estate prices are going up, etc. And again, what is the pattern from a New Testament perspective in terms of churches getting funding? Is it through an investment portfolio? or is it through the free will offering of the members. And the answer is through the free will offering of the members. Now congregations that are sitting on top of a large pile of cash, you know, that in and of itself may be a problem because people don't contribute to the lord to have a very large bank account that the church can have.
1: Right. And in that sense uh, we would not be good stewards if we're not using that money appropriately. Exactly.
0: exactly. All right, ready for one final question?
1: Yeah. Let's get to the last question. Uh,
0: this comes from Karen and it's a little bit lengthy, but, um, I'll, I'll read it. Quote, can money be extracted from the church collection plate for the pantry. Quote, uh, in friends, she put in food, which is distributed to the community as well as the members. Are we commanded to show benevolence to everyone as a church? And if no then aren't each of the saints a part of the Lord's body, whether they are away from the church or active in the church, so far as what they are doing concerning good works? Isn't the church supposed to show good works to all men? Thank you for taking the time to address this issue. So I think at the very least, Brian, we've got church here used in a couple of different ways.
1: We do, and notice some of the, the. It was actually kind of a multi-question question, right? But but notice that some of the questions really address a lot of the common thoughts. So, for instance, you know, should we not have a pantry to help the community as well as members, or are we commanded to show benevolence to everyone? Isn't the church supposed to show good works to all men? These are all valid questions and certainly uh, good ones to ask and consider. The short answer is no. As we've talked about throughout this episode, using money from the treasury for anything unauthorized, and certainly a food pantry is not something that we see that's authorized to feed the community. So, therefore, we were not able to do it. You know, it's important to realize that the New Testament teaches us that there are two types of benevolence. We talked about this, uh, you know, individual and in church. And the, the scriptures, as we pointed out through this episode, have also taught that money collected from the members of a local congregation on the first day of the week can be used for evangelism, as we've talked about, benevolence for needy saints, or expedience to accomplish those tasks any other use of the lord's money is not authorized. You know, whenever we need to determine what God would have us to do, we have to look to see if there's a direct command, if there's a, an approved example, or a necessary inference that we can draw based on the facts. And so when we look in the scriptures, it tells us those are the only 3 reasons that the lord's treasury can be used. Now, when it comes to general benevolence for non-Christians or, you know, people in the community, even though it's not the church's responsibility to help those in need, we do still have an individual responsibility. And just one passage that touches on this is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, where it says, let him who stole steal no longer, but let rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So that's just saying at an individual level, yes, we do have that responsibility so anyhow, uh, that hopefully, Jeff, between that response and, of course, what we've talked about throughout the episode, we can clearly see that that sort of thing would not be authorized as a good use of the treasury.
0: Right. Well, and even within this particular question, it, it seems like she's picking up on the word church in two different ways. Certainly the local congregation, because she says, can money be extracted from the church collection plate? Okay, mm-hmm. local congregation. But then she goes on to make what I think is a, a good observation. Aren't each of the saints, a part of the Lord's body. Mm, yeah. In essence, the church or church universal or all of the saints, right? Yep. Because she goes on to say whether they are away from the church, which I assume is local congregation or active in the church, local congregation so far, what they're doing concerning good work. So in a way, the. Christians, the body of Christ, you know, individual Christians, the church as individuals indeed do have that uh, ability and responsibility to, to, to do good to all men, not in any sort of organized capacity because the only organization we have again, scriptures and the pattern in the scriptures is, you know, local Christians coming together as as congregations. And that's the only pattern that we have. Um, but in, way, in a way, here we have church using two terms. Should the universal church individuals be doing good to all men? Yes. Should local congregations be doing good to needy saints? Yes. To all men? No. And, and again, coming back to Uh, the pattern that we see within uh, the scriptures.
1: Yeah. And I think the key is that God cares about everyone. He did establish a method by which we can help everyone. He just would like us to respect the fact that the church has a limited use of its treasury. And that's really what it boils down to. And you know, there's a lot more information on this that can be found on our website. So Jeff, where can uh, our listeners go to get more information about what we've discussed today?
0: So if you come to our website with your normal computer, laptop, desktop, et cetera, you'll notice that there are some buttons around, along the top of the homepage. One of those buttons is called Topics. So if you click on the Topics button, there's like an alphabetical list that you will see, you know, A to Z. If you're more on a mobile device, uh, if I remember correctly, it's in the top left corner. You'll see three bars. Click on that. Likewise, you'll see a series of buttons up here. Again, look for topics within the alphabetical index. uh, Certainly, we started off talking about the law of Moses. So look under L for law of Moses. We've been talking a great deal today about giving. So look under G for that. Uh, C for church work and for church benevolence. Those are probably the the main three that that I would suggest and a lot of archived uh, material uh, under those for our listeners to do some research on their own. And again, just as we often say before, don't take our word for it And, and don't even just assume since we're quoting scripture that that's what the scripture says. Go look it up, go do your research, go investigate, go open your own Bible and find out if the things we're saying are true. Thank you
1: for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.